Do you want to count down? Okay, okay. Three. From three. Yes. Three, three two, two, one. one. Hello. Hello! Welcome to the fifth Shut Up and Sit Down podcast from Shut Up and Sit Down. It's our fifth podcast, which is podcast number five. Uh, we're going to talk about... Some um, games this time. This time, because we always forget. Yeah, uh, there's a list. We have got a list of games. Uh, we're jettisoning our usual plan of rolling a dice and just picking things at random because... You can actually still do that because they're just over there. Uh, yeah, but no, because I think we need order... What have we got coming up on the show? We're talking about... But this isn't an order. The no, one it's... we're starting with is halfway down. Yeah, but in my mind, I just look at it. It's like I see the code. Um, like I the Matrix. The order. Actually, is there a Matrix board game? No. Maybe. I bet it's terrible. Anyway, no, we should totally look that up afterwards and we can write it in the thing on the page for the podcast. There is a Matrix board game. Or there isn't. <laughs> Okay, anyway, so we've got some very exciting board games we're going to be talking you guys through. Today we are talking about uh, Relic, which is mm-hmm. the uh, which is Warhammer 40,000 Universe running around a board. Might be terrible, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> we're, we're going to be talking about Love Letter, we're going to be talking about D-Day Dice, we're going yeah. to be talking about Mage Wars, Netrunner. Uh, Perudo is written down here, which is weird. And uh, Last Night, I'm guessing that means Last Night on Earth and not just what happened to you last night. What did you do last night? So Relic, you played. Uh, I've played Talisman. You've played Relic. Um, we've not. Neither of us have played the others. Which makes us perfectly suited. So you've other. adventured in a fantasy world. I've adventured in space. Now our worlds are colliding. <laughs> so yeah, uh, this is Fantasy Flight's um, uh, license that they currently own. And Talisman, and now new the new game Relic, set in the mm. Games Workshop universe, um, are games of going round a board. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it is really that simple. You. You have a quest you need to complete. In the case of Relic, you need to explore the dark universe in the middle of the galaxy. Um, and it's got planets and spaceships on the board. And it's a big, gorgeous board. But honestly, your turn in Talisman and Relic is as simple as rolling a dice, moving that many spaces, and then having an adventure. You draw a card and it might be you find a techno-priest who aids you. Or it might just be you find a horrible alien who eats you. Roll the dice, see if you get eaten, you do. I mean, fundamentally, these oh, games God. are just... They work because if you have a good turn... You have fun. And if you get screwed by the game, then everybody else has fun and laughs at you as you roll a one and the dragon, you know, bites off your... You have a mixed experience with Talisman, yes, don't you? Yes, 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 I do. I'm just sorry, I was very intently listening to you because it does sound mechanically pretty much identical to, right. to Talisman. I've, I think Talisman's on about its fourth version, maybe. Fourth and edition, I've yeah. played all of those at some point and seen it definitely get better over time. Because the later versions from about three onwards are based around still the same thing. You rush okay, around. Okay. Board. Slap me with your knowledge uh, hockey stick. Tell me how you can make a game of going around a board and rolling a dice better. You can make it a little bit fairer and I suppose a little more balanced and a, li- a little less random. But isn't the, the thing- fun of these things that they are random, that you do just find a sword under a rock? Well, well, <laughs> twins, it's funny that you say that. Uh, back in first edition Talisman, because y- your objective was to run around, you know, you have concentric rings, which I'm guessing you have in Relic. Yeah, you absolutely you, yeah. do. You sort of, you can close in on the circles of hell. And each is, is worse than the, than the previous yeah. one. They're more dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there used to be a thing in first and I think second edition talisman where you could get to the middle of the board first, which ideally usually you win, but there is actually a thing right there in the middle that will kill you if you're the first person to get there. If you try to win and you happen to win first, you don't win. But, and you don't know that's coming. There's no way that's going to happen until you get there, at which point <laughs> it says, you know, 
game over but if you like you could pick another character and start again because you know you'd only be like <laughs> about an hour behind everybody an hour that's optimistic yeah right yeah, no, I'm not joking <laughs> I'm not oh. okay so Relic is pacey Relic is um, definitely fantasy flight giving this beautiful sci-fi universe treatment to Talisman you know you're, you're, you're landing on planets you're fighting big space orcs and, and aliens and you're collecting relics the titular relics in order to get into the centre of the board the very centre you need one of these um these special items, these relics, which are super powerful equipment that you get from completing missions, which ultimately mean you have to land on certain spaces. Uh, but it is a lot of fun. Um, is it full of a lot of stuff? It because does, okay, yes, it, it contains a lot of stuff, and this is, right. of course, the appeal. And the thing, this is this is what excites me yeah. about Talisman. I don't care about Talisman, but I will obsessively expand anything I own. I will buy expansions. <laughs> and Fantasy Flight have essentially, like, have a bunker buster expansion plan just designed to rip through my myself yes. uh, my, my will yes. which is you've seen the Talisman expansions they are additional boards that yes. socket on top of the boards uh, people at home if you haven't seen this you can google Talisman expansion 4th edition and see that what you're paying for with the expansions is corners like L-shaped pieces which socket onto the board giving you more spaces to explore and if you buy all four then you have a board which is you know 300% larger than the original board. Yes. Which, and but like you say, isn't it right? The, the, the thrill it, of these games is the stuff. Yeah, it's more areas to explore if you buy the expansions, and uh, I'm guessing you had big decks of cards full of all kinds of stuff to kill and collect. And find, yeah. And stick in your trousers and... Yeah. Well, now, see, I was playing a sister of battle who was a holy warrior nun... Uh, oh, dear. ...who didn't have trousers. Well, she... Yeah, uh, but we don't even want to... Well, I shouldn't have. I'm so sorry. It's no, it was good. In fact, in true talisman style, it struck us that she is infinitely more powerful than any other character in the game. It, it was just <laughs> my power was this was to go onto a space and then, you know, being a being a inquisitor type, I could just root out evil. So wherever I landed, I could always pull something from the willpower deck that I yeah. had very strong willpower and 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 whip the hell out of it. This was a problem that I had uh, in a game of Talisman I played years ago when I was a teenager. It was about third edition or something. It it got to the point where you had certain equipment, certain weapons, where if you met monsters, you just killed them because the roll of the die didn't matter. You just met stuff and you killed it and you got its stuff and you turned into a fantasy item hoover. Okay, so now, like, we're both talking about this in a kind of jovial way. What's the reason that we haven't covered Talisman in years of running Charlotte sit down my well that's actually a really good question my reason would be I've never felt it's exciting enough to recommend I feel it's too broken it's an institution isn't it it's like a lot of people would know already of course a lot of people I mean the show our, our, our lovely show and blog is for people who don't always know board games but it's just it wouldn't be anywhere near the top of the recommendation pile would it no it's strange and yet people do buy it they do love it it's just kind of there like you know like um it's not a, a bottle of bleach under the sink. Why do you own it? It's just there. But I would think of something like Arkham Horror, where it's very big and very random, and it's full of stuff that happens, and you go, what's going to happen now? I've got no idea. And you spend all day doing that. You just, <laughs> you, but you don't really engage... How much did you engage your brain? I did... Well, now, see, this is where it gets a little interesting, and I've heard that Relic uh, sort of builds on the talisman formula a little bit by offering you... A bit more grip on the board and what's happening to you. There was a lot of items that I was getting where I could spend charges to... Mm -hmm. um, Oh, it also has... I don't know if this is in Talisman, but it has a battle card mechanic whereby you get given cards which have numbers on them from one to six. Rather than rolling the dice, you can go, screw you, game! I rolled a five! I play this card. And the cards also have optional effects if you don't use them for the number. So Uh if you temporarily want to sort of escape the horrible random gravity of the game, you can 
slip these cards out of your hand and go, no, I really just want to roll a one. Um, and maybe that won't save you. Maybe you'll get eaten by an alien. Well, it gives you something else to think about. Yeah, it does. But it's not, you know, it doesn't have that, that traction and that real sort of, I'm, I'm, I have a plan and puzzles and I need to figure something. It's kind of, I'll stand here and something will erupt out of the ground. Yeah, and I think the funny thing is, I, a lot of people, that's enough. Like, a lot of people still feel like they're really playing a game. And this is where we get into the really tricky question of, yeah. how much game does there have to be for people to feel like they're interacting? Because people play Snakes and Ladders as a kid, and that's fun, you know, yeah. to kids. And, um... Maybe actually the problem isn't with talisman. Oh wow, I'm getting really meta now. Maybe no, the pro- maybe the problem isn't with talisman and relic, Paul. Maybe the problem is with us that we can't just thrill in the drawing of a cut. No, you know what? I'm not even convincing myself. These games aren't particularly good. Um, should we move on? <laughs> uh, um, uh, so what's if this order of stuff on the list is in your head? Yes. What's it is. next? What's next in- is love letter. Okay, that's which fine. Is, which is first that's on the list. That's all right. So, to, to move from something which has a lot of, a lot of stuff... In the to, to something that has very little. Very little stuff. I've been lucky enough to get my hands on Love Letter, which my local game shop got, I think, seven copies in, because there just aren't enough copies in the world right yeah. now to cope with demand. This it's is, so rare. If you do see it in your game shop, do do pick it up. Uh, Love Letter is originally a Japanese design. Um, game that comes with about 16 cards and some tokens and a little bag to put them in, and that's it. That's all you yeah. get. Which is really awesome immediately, because yeah. as soon as you get into it, that's, that's all you actually need to play the game. Yes. Yeah. It and comes out of those 16 cards, doesn't it? What, um, all you need to... Yeah, so um, you're trying to get a, ostensibly get a letter into the hands of a princess, of a love letter. All you're really doing, though, is you'll, you'll have a card in your hand, which might range from a guard, who's very low numbered, all the way up to the princess, who's the highest number. Number eight. At number eight. God, it's so high. I, my brain didn't even know that numbers got that big. Uh, yeah. And on your turn, you, this is your hand of cards. One card, continuing the minimalist theme of the game. On your turn, you will draw a card, bringing your hand up to two, and you'll play one of these cards for its effects and keep the other. And the game is just very, very crunchy small decisions. Like, the guard lets you try and pick what someone else is holding, and if you're correct, then they're out the round. Yeah. Or the baron lets you compare the other card you're holding in the hand to someone else, and if you're correct, or if you're a higher number, you, you know, they're out the round. It's this sort of like, um, it's almost like a gunfight with people just collapsing to the table, you know, their heads rolling, you know, along the, uh, along, along the wood as, um, as eventually it becomes, you know, from four people to three people to two, and then maybe the cards run out because you've been playing for long enough, at which point whoever has the highest number wins that round. Very pacey, very funny, lots of opportunities to screw yourself over, just even though there's only eight different cards in that 16. The thing is, it's really, it's really quick, it's really uh, a game where every single thing you do, every single turn counts, because you've got, what, at most two cards in your hand. Yeah. Um, Each one has a very specific power, which if you're canny, you can try and predict what someone's going to do next, or you try and act before them, but every time you play, every single play you make matters, because that's pretty much... You know, what's in front of you is your only option. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, it, the rest of it comes that. from what you think the other players are holding. Yes. So you're, it's clever in that your options aren't just the game you're playing. Your options are what your opponents might be holding, and that that's just tricky, and that's really... It, it forces you to get into their heads. And um, my favourite card in the game that kind of sums up sort of the subtlety of it is there's a card called the Countess, who's a very mm-hmm. high number, number six, and or seven, I think. So second highest in the game, except her special power... And this is it, is that you must discard her if you're holding the king or the prince, the two cards below her. So, you know, you draw the, the you have the countess and you draw the king and you go, crap, and you have to download, the, uh, you have to throw away the countess. But then I've realized that, of course, you can throw away the countess, whatever. Yeah. So if you have a guard and the countess and you bin the countess, no one's going to target you with a baron unless they call your bluff. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's all it's all that it's all the the plays of trying to interpret what someone is doing based on how they just responded to something else, or you know the the card you play where you look at the other person's hand. The priest, it, yeah, yeah. Immediately, uh, as soon as that's happened, you know that you're on your back foot, so you have to try and reverse that as you can, pull out another card, throw away what you already have. <laughs> it's, yeah, but there's so little you can do, so every single choice you make really, really matters, and it's not often you get a game design that's that real tight and precise and sort and of so easy and so funny philosophy let's segue gently onto something else on the list which you were playing this weekend and this is something as small right and so we recommend all these big boxes like this week i'm playing mage wars which we'll talk about later and then d-day dice which is a box full yeah. of dice and cards and pigeons and bulldozers and war and war uh, i don't know where that came from and um and then, but this weekend you were just playing Perudo, weren't you? Perudo, yeah. I, I got my first ever taste of Perudo with some friends this weekend, and it was kind of fascinating. Yeah, so explain to the people at home what Perudo is, because that name sounds boring, Paul. I want to hear about War and Wizards. Well, no, wait, wait. Perudo but is Paul, I'm probably, leaving. I'm leaving, Perudo is probably a game that Wizards would play. Okay, like I'm back, I'm year. back. You've solved um, Perudo is a dice-bluffing game where all of you start with five dice, you roll them privately, you look at what the numbers are, and each of you is trying to guess... You, you'll make a bid, which will be like, I, I bet that there are ten dice that are number fives around the table right now. And that's partly based on what you've got in front of you, because you might have five fives. Which is secret and held in, and hidden sort of under a cup, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, you never show anyone else. Um, and everyone else can either increase the number of dice, so that some next to you might say, oh, well, I bet it's eleven fives. Or they can increase the actual number on the dice. And so say, that, what, that, I think there was two sixes. I think there is ten sixes. However... Ones count as wild cards, so ones can represent any number. Or you can do a kind of a, not doubling down isn't the right phrase, but you can take the whole thing back down to ones, where you say, oh, well, I bet there are half as many ones out there. <laughs> and then the bidding can try and increase again. But... Until eventually... So you go around the table, and it's like, when it's your turn, there's that pressure on you, isn't there? There's the, the thing is, you can, uh, you can either call the previous person, and if, you, if they're wrong, if they've said, oh, well, I bet there are 12 fours, and you go, well, go ahead, because you've got no fours, and you think they're wrong. If they're right, proven of course, as wrong... This is like, so like, shut up and sit down, favourite Skull and Roses, your option is either to increase the bet or call yes, someone's bluff. That's, yeah, that's it. That's a very good analogy. If they're wrong, uh, they lose a, a die, and obviously their life becomes a lot harder the next time you play. <laughs> um, if you're wrong, you lose a die. But there is also the other option to call out with a sort of a special interjection, where you say, ah, I can't remember what the word is, it's something like calzo, I think. <laughs> and that's where you say, actually, I think that's exactly what's happening. So if someone says, I think they're seven fives, you can immediately say, hang on, there might be, at which point everyone has to show what they have. Uh, but if you're right, then you get a die back. Ah, now, but the odds are against you, right? You just nobody would, nobody in there. At right the start of the game, when you've got a whole table full of players, uh, and there's so many possibilities, everyone makes a lot of mistakes. But as the number of dying becomes smaller, mm. and you start seeing what people are guessing, and you think, so, well, see, if- all we've got here then are just some dice and some cups, and yet this game has incredibly difficult decisions. It has pace. Yeah. It has laughter. It has ten. You know, it it's has- very quick, and it's got. Almost like we're talking about Love Letter, I suppose. It's got that thing where you're watching what other people are doing and you're thinking, well, you know, if, if Bill over there has just said he thinks there are six fours... Of course he's... you can just be lying through your teeth the yeah, whole time. Which, which, which adds a whole wonderful... And if you don't get called, that's, that's fine. If you don't get called, <laughs> the, the main objective of the game is to not get called See, and now, be embarrassed. This is something... But, like, okay, so... There's a weird split in the heart of our hobby, which I tried to talk about in my Game City talk last year, and the whole room fell silent because nobody believed me. So I'm gonna, <laughs> but I'm not giving up on this. 
I'm convinced that board gaming and card gaming is actually extremely cool. Like, this is my theory. I, th- I think, you I'm know, it's, fine with that. it's difficult to, to, to sort of realise because you walk into a game shop and you see these boxes with um, wizards on the cover. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, games. Uh... And so, but, but actually, the fundamental act of rolling dice, of bluffing and holding cards are three things that, have, that are so rich in imagery that they are cool. Like, anyone can look quite cool holding a hand of cards. Not necessarily yeah. if they have wizards on them, but... But lying to your friends, the tension around the table, lying to someone's face rather than in a video game, you know, doing it sort of abstractly. And I think board gamers really just give up on reclaiming that. I actually think, and you know, this is always why I wanted to put, you know, trendy music Mm. and shut up and sit down and all these things. Our font, our design, I I want this hobby to be a little cooler than it is, is all. And Perudo, I remember playing that in in China, of all places, and um, and and playing it with people who I, who I didn't speak the language with, but we knew the rules of this game. Yeah, and that is absolutely one of the coolest moments of my life. Just we were playing to see who would have to get the next round of drinks or cigarettes, and just playing with these people on the other side of the world, and it's and it felt incredible. And I'm not really sure where I'm going with this, but but but, you, but no, that's fine. It's um, when so, you mention Perudo, I guess it just sparked something in me that I'd sort of I don't usually talk about, but it's like yes, no, that's a game. That's a game with a capital G. Well, poker is oh, supposed yeah, to be cool, course, which right. is a game of sat, sitting there with the cards and bluffing. Perudo is like a kind of a dice poker. You're just uh, you're trying not to get called. You're increasing the stakes all the time. You're sat there. Uh, huddled over your dice, which is your little pool of knowledge, trying to outguess everyone else. And if you outsmart people, you are a cool person. I think the reason I don't bring up poker is because the most high-profile poker isn't in, you know, James Bond movies. It's in professional poker. It's on mm. televised poker and internet poker. All forms of poker, which which make it meticulously less cool. I mean, when I watch high-stakes poker and I see the, you know, these these pros with their, you know, their green visors and and just and big glasses, so that you can't even see their eyes, and it's like. No, you guys aren't cool anymore. At some point, you you missed the the sort of the humanity of this of this hobby. There's something that makes it entertaining. I think chess is cool. I just rewatched that episode of The West Wing where um where President Bartlett reveals that he's some kind of horrible chess master. Is that the one where he plays chess with everybody? Yeah, and he, he walks, walks between the offices and moves the chess pieces, and then um and, and talks nonsense about everything. I'm <laughs> not sure whether he's telling the truth or not. Yeah, because he's like that. Yeah. Yeah, chess can be cool. Yeah, there is a disconnect, I suppose, between uh, classic board games and modern board games. Okay, but I reckon if you and I put our heads together now, we'd be able to think of some games that we've recommended that actually can be cool. I think Skull and Roses is a great example. Yeah, that's a really good place to start, actually. I would argue probably The Resistance does a pretty good job. that's another really good call. Can we go bigger? Can we go for a board game with pieces and tokens? Well, to be honest, I... Everyone would disagree. I think Twilight Imperium is actually just really ah, cool now, because it's huge. Uh, but I can imagine lots of people would walk into a living room without on the table and they would wake up in I hospital. Think, well, <laughs> or something. I think if Twilight Imperium... You know that the third edition is so much prettier than the second edition. Yeah. I feel like if the fourth edition went for a kind of resistance very... Well, it's obviously got space turtles and space lines in it, so I was yeah. going to say a human art style, but that might be a joke. But like, if it was abstracted, like Eclipse is too mathsy to be cool. Twilight Imperium is too full of space lines to be cool. But I swear... If you walk into a living room and see people engaged in you know hostile political negotiations about the fates of a planet, you know sci-fi can be cool. Blade Runner's cool. I don't. I don't Do you see think why... the X-wing miniatures game is cool? No. Okay. I don't. I think that's there is there's an enormous token to see how far your lasers shoot. I don't think it's cool. Ah. Uh, okay. I right. mean, the X-wing, the individual X-wing miniatures are cool. I think Rex, is, as far as what Imperium cool is cool. I think Rex is a cool game. 
I think the fact that you're fighting over a bombed out city in this fragile alliances, and you know you, you don't you're, you're wanting your teammates to pull their weight, and the planet's you know being mm. bombed by the fleets going around again. I feel that comes very close. I also have a sus. No, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say yeah. I think war games can sometimes be cool. Were you going to say something like memoir? Because the thing with memoir is it's no. lovely, but I just I can imagine again you 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 bring someone into your living room and say look at this and, and they, they just go, start foaming <laughs> or they get a nosebleed. Yeah, and because then... they're instantly thinking of, of tokens and soldiers and pe- token. I guess tokens and soldiers aren't cool. No, because you just go to plastic army men and tin men and. Which is a bit of a shame, because for some people that's their job, is to look at a map with tokens and push them around well, in well, the army. Now, there's a question. Would a war, how cool would a war game be if it actually did, rather than being these sort of um, hexes and so forth, if it genuinely tried to emulate a military map? Speaking oh. of war games... Okay, fine, let's do that. Labyrinth of War Labyrinth. on Terror. Labyrinth of War on Terror. Not oh. really a game that you want to sing in a falsetto voice, because it's very dark... What did you want to say about the interesting game that is Labyrinth? Is a, I guess it's fair to say it's a bit like 1960, The Making of the President, but with just bombs. <laughs> with more bomb, with more death. Um, well, really what I want to say about it is I want to be lavished with, um, with praise by our readers, because we, of course, tried to review... We asked GMT for a lot of games, like Dominant yes. Species, like Virgin Queen. Virgin Queen was, of course, a disaster. Anyone who's been on to our old site will see our Virgin Queen that review. lovely review. Yeah, well... We, well, I really liked it. Yeah, well, I, I did what I could. Of course, <laughs> what happened is that we played Virgin Queen, a GMT complexity rating 7 or 6? Yeah, not even that. Out of 9, scale. no. And, um, and it was... An, it was I, I spent 7 hours learning the rules, got friends over, and it was a disaster because it was still so complicated. But I haven't been scared away. Uh, if GMT games are listening, I've, I'm now playing Labyrinth, which is two rungs lower on the complexity value. It's only two player. Me and my friend Tom have been our friend Tom. He, he's your friend, don't worry. What is he? I don't know. Um, I better call you need to him. stop Hang looking on. at him. Wait, because Labyrinth. All so, right. um, but we're actually persevering, and it's got this wonderful tutorial, and it's and it's it's me really being waist deep in war games for the very first time in my life, and I want to pers- persevere. I want to see what this what this genre has to offer. Of course, Matt Thrower now is doing. Uh, wonderful board yeah, uh, war game reviews for us. I'm looking forward to seeing what he's up to. Which are a thing next. to definitely keep an eye on as yeah. well. Uh, Labyrinth is having played a little bit of it by myself and gone through the manual things. It doesn't seem too overly complex. I think the manual's a bit dry in places, but it has a lot of interesting mechanics, doesn't it? Manual to do very... with stability and random events. Yeah. So the the thing is, is that it is so asymmetric. I love asymmetry in games. I love all the players playing slightly different games. Yes. Um, I find it really spicy. Um, but a labyrinth, of course, has one of you being a fundamental uh, radicalist militant Islam and the other being America. And you are playing very different games. Not only that, you're tr- there are multiple different ways for each side to win. Yeah. So really, you're just fuddling through this. And it took the end of our first two-hour game before I realised, okay, no, I, I think I've just lost. So uh, <laughs> it's all this really weird, sticky stuff. Like every country, well, um, countries that are susceptible to Islam have a government rating. Yeah. And... The worse the government is, the more it costs... No, sorry, the better the government is, the more it costs America to improve it further. The worse it is, the easier it is for Islam to push it into... Um, to, uh, into a fundamentalist, yeah, dangerous the, the government. Yeah, the problem... And, and so you win if you get very few countries actually with a fundamentalist Islamic government. Except as soon as you do that, America can hot drop, can invade. Like, hot drop, boom! Like, tons of troops in. And as soon as that they've restored the government, in theory, to a good government, then all the troops can pull out again. So actually, what you're trying to do is 
as the as Islam is is lock America into battles where it just can't pull its troops out. Yeah, like uh, you know, Afghanistan's a good one because there are lots of cards in the deck to do with um, suddenly more militants just pop up there. And there's only so many troops that you can commit. Yes, there's much like in real life, America has 15 soldiers that it can place. Um, but yeah, but there's also this sub game that you can you can do, launch terror plots if you have a uh, an Islamic cell in a country, and yeah. then if you get a WMD from either yeah. Pakistan or a loose nuke from Russia, then you can fumble... If you can get that WMD into America, then the game's Or, won. I think, a Western country somewhere. In America, or? the game's won. A Western country gives you a huge boost and increases okay. Islamic funding. Um, well, that's the thing. Also, when, when you start causing problems as the Islamic fundamentalist player, you get more respect, I suppose. Yes. You get more... Uh, Capital so again, this is the with. thing which acts contrary to what you'd expect. Most games, if you're doing badly, they give you a boost. In in War on Terror, if you start doing badly, it becomes harder for you to get your funding back up. And then there's all this insane stuff to do with um, America will either have a hard or soft doctrine yes. with the War yeah. on Terror. Yeah, this is where, again, just it blows your mind. You have to play a game to even get your head around this system. America is either a hard or soft on fundamentalist Islam, and it will get funding, or everything will be easier for America if the world supports its War on Terror, yeah. quote-unquote. And whether the world supports it comes down to whether the rest of the world is hard or soft. And as Islam, Islam, you can flip-flop countries from hard to soft or vice versa by, um, by launching terror plots in those countries. Countries that were previously hard on Islam, if you actually start punishing them, will become soft. And vice versa, because whatever they were planning clearly isn't working. So you have to... Like, if America's gone soft, then you need to scare Europe into going hard. Or if... Yeah, this is... Yeah. It's one thing to learn the rules of Labyrinth, or presumably complex war games, but the fact that to even play them to have those rules sink into your mind, I feel like, you know, like I'm doing harder and harder drugs with board gaming <laughs> to get the thrills I got before. But, I mean, uh, so fundamentally what, what we're saying is it's a game with... Fun- at the very core, the bottom of the barrel, this is a game uh, with a, ho- a whole bunch of different systems that are running in parallel, and you're sort of jumping between them, trying to like keeping plates spinning. I yes, guess. yeah, it is exactly that, and um, and it's very difficult to get, for me to get my head around. But the reward that I'm looking at right now is once I've got to grip with Labyrinth, once Tom's got it, we can both teach or buy, and then teach Andy and Abyss to people, and or the mm. new one, which I think is set in Cuba. And these are also games that are that feature sort of like terrorist versus government situations. But Andianibus sounds amazing to me. This is a game set in uh, 90s Colombia, uh, which is even more asymmetrical, where one of you plays the government, one of you plays the drug cartels, one of you plays the communist or left-wing extremists, another plays the, uh, the right-wing people, and everyone is allying with everyone else, depending on who's in the lead. Everyone's playing a slightly different game, and doesn't that sound wonderful? Yeah. Four people playing four very different games, allying with whoever, engaging in negotiations. Because I like I like Labyrinth a lot, but but there's no reason to ever talk to the other. Yeah, person. because it's a two-player yes. game, you know. Which is, but yeah. So if we can get to grips with this, then our reward will be ending in abyss, and you're going to come around, you're going to play it, and hopefully we'll have a good time. I think we might. Virgin Queen hasn't scared me. That's that's the main takeoff. I think I I don't know when. I think at some point in the future we'll sit down with Virgin Queen again, won't we? Oh well, I suppose Virgin Queen's the ultimate ultimate reward, being a six-player asymmetrical horror show. With I I can imagine that it's not it's not entirely off our radar. It's maybe down a list somewhere, but it just it's like. A mountain waiting to be climbed. Yes, a cardboard mountain. Yes, that is the put. Per- yes, so it's our K two, not which, which is to say it's different from K two. But the board game. Something I guess 
I smaller I mm, well smaller simpler but lots of cardboard is Netrunner which is Net something Netrunner Netrunner I still haven't played and now everyone <laughs> on the planet that I know has played Netrunner Netrunner is a card game which has uh, eaten my life why no it hasn't I've, I've played but it but you've played not, it a lot I've played still, it marginally more than anything else recently and you still really like it which yes which is unusual something. for me um, <laughs> so Netrunner is a card game by Fantasy Flight adopting their living card game model which is somewhere between a collectible card game and a uh, sort of boxed card game mm. they release the base set and then every month you get a new deck of cards which arrives and you can buy it or not and then they release deluxe expansions every so often so you know what you're getting that's where it's different from a collectible card game although I am still obsessively collecting cards Netrunner is a game originally designed by Richard Garfield in the 90s and, um, and, the, and Fantasy Flight have republished it now in their Android universe and one of you one player two player game one of you plays a corporation Tried to develop agendas like, you know, new exciting campaigns or brains in jars, whatever. Beautiful Blade Runner universe. And the other plays... A hacker. hacker. Trying to get into these agendas. And this is about as asymmetrical as games get. Because both sides have a completely different deck. Whether you're an anarchist hacker or or a criminal hacker, you know, doing bank jobs and stuff to fund his enterprise. Or as a corporation, you might be the guy's... The sinister corporation who uses a lot of traps and tries to coax the hacker into killing themselves yeah. and brain damage. They're Jinteki, that, that's the people who work with um, sort of biological research. Mm. Uh, and Or you could be um, uh, Haspiroid, who just create fortresses of, of ice intrusion countermeasures um, that, that the hackers can't really get through. Or maybe you'd be NBN, who I'm currently playing as, who are sort of essentially News Corps. And they just know where you are. That's the main problem. <laughs> they just know. Like, so you do a run on a piece of ice, and you know, like the, 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 the corporation sets up a private... I set up a private server, and the runner comes at it, and I flip the first piece of ice, and I say, you found a toll gate. And they go, oh, that's fine. Uh, and the toll gate's a piece of ice means they have to pay money to me to get through, whatever. I pay the money, and I go, oh, no, you've got to my... You've got to what's in the server, and I flip it, and it turns out to be... You know, a, a sort of a, a horrible... Tr- no, actually, even but Ideally, it would be... First off, I'd reveal red herrings, so they have to pay an additional five credits to get to the agenda. At <laughs> which point, they're bankrupt, and they finally flip the five credits, and I go, oh, you've accessed, you know, uh, a trap, basically, which means now I put a tag on you. The whole thing was a, was a ruse that I cleverly defended to make you think it was important. And now you have a tag, and I know where you live, and then maybe I can play a card out of my hand that levels their entire city block. Wow. Uh, which kills them, and that's the game to me. Except that's not actually how my deck works, because my deck doesn't work. This is a deck-building game where you're trying to build an engine before you even get to the game, and honestly, I'm having so much fun with Netrunner just trying to make my NBN Corporation deck work. So how much have you built into it so far, then? And how much... Uh, obviously, there was the base game that you got that had some of this. How, yeah. how well, much extra stuff The base is game is there? really generous. Um, you get... Four corporation factions, three hacker factions, and you can still do a bit of dice building right out of the box, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've bought multiple packs of cards now, and honestly, I just all for your corp. Or um, no, the, for the, the, the decks are a mix. The decks include ah. hackers and corporation cards, okay. both. Maybe not even for factions you play, but that's okay because you can bring out of faction stuff into your deck. But um, honestly, the reason I'm enjoying it, and I never really understood this, is because, um, you know, you hear about people making magic decks that cost £80, and you think, that's just awful, that's not a hobby I want to be involved in. But what I'm realising is that every month, when a pack of Netrunner cards arrives, I buy it, I take it home, and it's and it's a puzzle. You look at every card, and you go, is that useful to me? Oh my god, that's going to be incredible in my friend's deck. Oh god, how am I going to counter? Oh, there's a card in this deck that counters it, that's perfect. I'll need that in my deck. Oh, wait, no, hang on, because... There's no limit as to how big you can build your decks in Netrunner, but the bigger they get, the less likely they are to obey you. I mean, you've played Dominion. You'll know that as you make a deck bigger, it just becomes unwieldy. Yeah, you, you obviously, you're, um, you're, yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You're, you're, you're 
stretching your limits. You're pushing your luck. You're building literally a house of cards, really. Yes. Or not quite literally, but you're uh, you're creating your own problems, and it's up to you how far you want to push the envelope or push your luck. Yeah. But if you do put stuff in there that's good and useful, it's more likely that you're still going to do well. If, you, if you're clever about your engineering, if you put in cards that are going to burp up more cards, then it's, the chance... It, yeah, it's, it's all about how carefully you build and how much you stretch. Yeah, and what's, what's nice, though, is you know, magic is problematic because nobody wants to get involved in magic now because there are a million cards and you don't know what's good and it takes you a long time to develop the skill set but with Netrunner and in fact Fantasy Flight are releasing a new living card game every month and all I would say actually whether you go for the Lord of the Rings one which has been out for about a year or more actually or Netrunner which has been out for a few months or the Star Wars one which is really new and I've heard it's just as good well almost as good Get involved in the beginning. Like, if you're, think- if you're thinking, if you're listening to me talk about Netrunner and you think I'd like to do that, get involved in Netrunner or Star Wars or something new because then you can, you can develop the skills right out of the base And you can watch it grow. Yes, and you can yeah. see the game change. Because, you know, if you get involved in Netrunner in a year, we're going to be doing our review of Netrunner very shortly and it's going to be very positive, but, you know, if you're, but why wait? You know, get involved now. Buy the starter set. Begin experimenting and begin getting involved in this just wonderful game. I don't. I'm not quite sure why you've done this. You put Mage Wars on the list after having just written a thing about it. Do you put, just want to be excited for a while? Well, I put it. I put a little match report on the site, but but you know you could you could cut. Well, no, you know what? I did just put a thing on the site. So let's let's revisit an old friend. Let's revisit. Let's revisit last night on Earth. Last I played last night on Earth again this weekend and had a better time playing it than I did last time. Okay. But last not... night on Earth kind of like Talisman in that it's a game which doesn't really go away even it... though it's not that good. I it's definitely not a game that I would really recommend to people, but uh I think it works better with larger groups of people. Last night on Earth uh to recap, we've mentioned it before, but it's a game where at least one player plays the zombies, everyone else plays uh poor survivors of some zombie holocaust, you're all in a town at night and you have some objective from about half a dozen that you've got to achieve which could be like rescue the townsfolk or grab something before you flee out of town and you have usually a set number of turns to to try and do it in or a set number of turns before the zombie player uh, can't attack you anymore so uh, you're rushing about town, collecting items, running into buildings, drawing cards from decks, and it's very much shooting at zombies. It's not dissimilar to Talisman in that it is just a, a, a platter of stuff, right? It's a platter it's of miniatures, and it paints an image in your head, and it's blood, and it's guns. Yes, and it's got that uh, same Ameritrashy kind of thing. Uh, when we say Ameritrash, we mean high production values, lots of actual very shiny tokens and miniatures and things to move around. Maybe less of an emphasis on balance and rules. Yeah. More I of f- an emphasis on, I guess, fun and theme. On, on fun and theme and, and stuff to touch. And Which is only problematic on. if you, if you um, play these games, uh, you know, if, if the fun part of these games for you is the, the game, is the balance. Which is, is true, the- which is a fair point. Uh, the thing I found with a larger group of people is you spend a lot more time talking about what you're going to do and sharing things with each other and swapping stuff. And helping each other out. And when it's uh, when you have maybe two players being the zombies and swapping plans and ideas and four players being the good guys and they're swapping plans and ideas and backing each other up, the team aspect comes out a lot more. Okay, and so that evens out the randomness a bit. And it's, you know, more fun. So, okay, right. You're saying that the fact that it's a game and allowing you to swap things and, and share this horror together, it's a game that makes the most of its players. So actually, Last Night on Earth perhaps is a better game with just more people. 
Yes, uh, it's still not a game that I would I really recommend that much. Uh, it's quite shiny and pricey in that same way that Fortune and Glory is that we looked at a long time ago. It's not as big and pricey. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of other games out there we'd recommend first with better mechanics, more exciting concepts. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. Here's a, here's a question. So, yeah, you and I are always sort of like slightly wary about Ameritrash. We're always... You know, we're, we're games journalists for a living, yeah. you know? We, we cover games, and we love the systems and the rules, and we love games that are intelligent. And so Ameritrash, you know, often we're not as uh, seduced by a nice miniature as everyone else. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, you get things like ah. me rolling my eyes at the, at the millions raised for, you know, things like um, Zombicide. And, Zombicide uh, and Myth? Was uh, myth the myth was recently, and then of course the um, uh, Kingdom Death Monster. There we are with the women with boobs out and stuff. My question then would be: Uh-oh. When are we seduced by it? What game? What what like to- totally trashy Maritrash nonsense do we actually love? I guess. Well, I'm immediately coming back to Twilight Imperium again, maybe because there are a lot of different systems that always keep you thinking about new things. Like that, you've got the politics in there, you've got the combat in there, you've got the technological advancement in there, you've got a lot of different systems you can play with and try and bounce them off each other. Yeah. And at that point, you're a bit more excited because you're finding the systems you want to play with. I guess. Ah, that's a good. And dis- you've also got asymmetry in TI because every race is going to have different powers and a different bias, which right. I know you love. So I guess TI would be you describe it like a playground. It's not just here is a slide we're going to go on together. It's do you want to play on the slide? Do you want to play on the swings? Yeah. Like yeah, that's not a bad analogy. If you want to go to war, you can. If you want to defend, you can. If you want to go politics you can if you want to trade and make lots of money that way then yeah now see of course for me it's actually Mage Wars which I just talked about recently but but that's actually a bit too intelligent I would say Descent is my Ameritrash that, that ah, I, I yes. love to pieces because Descent we reviewed it we reviewed the first edition of Descent you know a couple of years ago did a big video episode and we said we love it but it's a bit broken and now with second edition we've just had to really face that down because the second edition is incredible the miniatures are so nice it's full of wonderful ideas you can have a campaign that sees your warrior becoming a grand hero yeah. who beats down the overlord's lieutenant and, you... and it erases loads of problems with the original it gives yeah. you lots more variety yep. it gives you lots of different Absolutely. systems to play with but, but it's still so broken it's still like you know you, you can't play it well without doing things that are just like things like um, uh, putting hellhounds sideways in a corridor yes. one after another to create a, a wall parking your monsters yeah and just all as the heroes you know doing this thing where oh yes I, if I run up and give you a stamina potion, then you can use your fatigue and all your movement and the thing that gives you more movement to cover 18 squares in yeah. one turn. And it's just like, you you can't... There are, how poorly does a game have to be designed for you to not be able to play it well, and for you to play it well and not seem intelligent, but seem like a bad player? Yeah, well, th- this is the thing. Uh, but you, you're but still... I love it. This is it, yeah. I mean, you're. I haven't yet touched second edition, really. No, I haven't. Uh, you're still a bit seduced by it. And we still had a lot of fun playing first for a while until I guess we pushed it to its limits and it And it collapsed. snapped. <laughs> Just, yeah, and uh, it became apparent that our overlord couldn't do anything against us, yeah. Which but was it, a shame. But... I'm just trying to think what it is that makes me forgive it as opposed to something like Last Light on Earth. What makes me buy into it? And I think it's just... You see, what I did there is I began that sentence believing that by the time I got halfway through it, I would have my answer, but I don't. But you don't have an answer. I don't. What is you... it about Descent that makes me want so to love it? So it's not the same as TI in that there's lots of different things to do then. It's not that. Well, no, because you're only ever running through a dungeon. I guess it's just so flavourful. It's like... I love the fatigue, the fact that heroes get tired as they yeah. push forward. I love the fact that, um, 
you know, heroes can close doors behind them to sort of keep things away. I love, uh, you know, the, the, the adventures that are dripping with text and how, how quickly you can clear a room and go, okay, now we've got a new surprise. And, um, and also something really simple that I also love in the X-Wing miniatures game, it's that you don't just get a roll of dice to attack, you get a roll of dice to defend as well, which, and this sounds like broken maths if ever there was some, but it basically doubles the fun of rolling dice. <laughs> you know, because the hero can miss on the first attack and that's exciting, they can do really well, but then you can block it all with another roll of the dice. And, yeah, it just, it's, I think, I, okay, I think I've got my answer. I think it's just so fast. Last Night on Earth can actually, in the one time I played it, it felt very slow. It was, okay, now you have to take your turn. It, Whereas descent, It's quite, well, yeah, it's quite kind of linear. You pull a thing out, you do that thing, the next person does their thing. Descent, the way you describe the, the dice rolling and things, it feels like you've always got more things to do or someone else always has something to do. And the heroes well. can, of course, decide what order they go in. If you yeah. want to act first, you go, no, I really want to do this. And you go first, which is, I mean, that's that seems like a game design from the future. You know, I want to take my turn now. I'm going <laughs> to move my miniature now. And yeah, you, you get more to do. That's the thing as well. It's I, th- I think you're right. You're, you've always got more going on. Like, I'm going to move now. I'm going to drink this. I'm going to do that. In Last Night on Earth, uh, you can decide your order, but it's basically like you'll you'll move and you'll shoot. and Or you might not move because you'll roll to see how far you can move and you get one and you just go, I'm not going to move this turn. Okay, so there's our answer then. That What we need from Ameritrash is for it to be the extremes of Ameritrash. Just, it has to yeah. be the silliest or the fastest or the broadest. Like... For, for it to lure us away, which actually, you know what, I'm not sure that's different to how we approach Euro games or bluffing games or card games or role-playing mm. games. Euro games, you and I always go to the stuff that is, you know, like, you know, Zolkin recently, the Mayan calendar, that amazing worker placement game, which I love, where you place your workers on actual gears and they spin around. And... So the, what you're saying is, uh, if it's Ameritrash, make it very, very Ameritrashy and throw a lot in there and stir it around. And if it's Eurogames, make a really interesting new system and just watch it click away. Like I think it might work. be even simpler than that. I think it's shut up and sit down, lives and breathes off systems. Systems for the system's throne. Well, is there anything left on no, the list? No, that's it. All on right. that note, now we've established that we are the overlords of our own um, rules kingdom. <laughs> Which um, is good. I'd hate to find out we'd created one and we weren't in charge. It'd <laughs> be sad. What do you so want to be? when are we we're putting this podcast up after we've done the 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 review? Which review? Libertalia. Yeah. Okay. Hope you like Libertalia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, buy it. It's really good. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, not what you wrote in the thing. No, You've it's good. All... Well, you I you pushed me towards the middle. I didn't push you anywhere. I, this you... isn't the West Wing. I don't pull you to the middle. You do. You you like if you if you really like it and I don't, I have to go. Why well, it's not that good? Or if you don't like it, I have to go. It's amazing. I'm sorry it's just that I like works. a game. Uh, happy, happy, shut up and sit down, everybody. We'll do another podcast soon. And <laughs> we've sure. got, I don't, I don't want to tease, but we've got some cool other stuff in the works, haven't we? We certainly do, all yeah. of which will be appearing. So hang around. Uh, yeah. Shortly. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.